You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. My name's Jamin. I'm the lead pastor here, and I am excited to be with you again this week, as Kay was saying at Reveal. Last week kind of got us honed into some of the themes of Reveal, because Reveal this year is about, first half is about hearing God's voice, and the second half is about the kinds of things that God often says when you hear his voice, which is on topics of justice. I'm really excited. Uh, it's very rare that I feel like I have a message put together that feels like some fresher material. You guys have heard me preach a lot, so it won't feel as fresh to you, but I think there's new stuff in it regardless. I'm excited to preach that message, but last week's message and this week's message maybe gives us some, some space to be leaning into the revealed themes a little early. Um, and we'll see a little bit of it sprinkled into today's themes as we see some justice issues come up. But today, we're hopping into Luke 14, where we're going to be in a um, story of a bunch of banquets. Jesus would tell a lot of stories throughout his life, and it was up to his editors to figure out how to retell those stories. So a lot of times, they would group stories together. Well, I remember when Jesus told this story, and this story, and this story. Those are on similar themes. Uh, so Luke, as he's editing, takes three banquet stories and puts them all back to back that he's heard Jesus tell throughout his time. So we're going we're gonna to read through these banquet stories to get a glimpse of what it's like to follow Jesus and what it's like to try to lean into the themes of heaven. Because Jesus lived very differently than anyone would have expected him to live. The religious people of his time looked a certain way and Jesus did not fit their mold. It's part of the reason that they killed him. They thought he was dangerous. Jesus would say things about them that would get them in trouble. But the way that he was living, he's eating with sinners and he's breaking laws here and there and then justifying it with some better spiritual wisdom than they had. They were just like, who is this guy who's going to mess everything up? We already went into exile once and now he comes along and we're trying to get everybody on track to following the law so that God will come back and send his Messiah, and now there's this guy, who they don't realize is the Messiah, coming in, messing with all of our people and trying to throw us off again. So some of the things that Jesus teaches, often the things that Jesus teach, fly in the face of what people are used to expecting or hearing or what they think good religious people should be like. So Jesus tells three little banquet stories that we're now going to go through right here. Now he told a parable to those who were invited, and he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself 
will be exalted. This is our first parable where Jesus zooms in on humility, which is actually a huge theme throughout the Gospels. There are some themes that Jesus gets into from time to time, but humility is one that you're going to see show up a lot because Jesus had to combat this way of thinking that was not only in his culture, but in our culture too. And he had to combat it within his own people because the disciples were not very humble people. You might have thought that they would be. A lot of them didn't seem to come from necessarily like great places of stature, be you fishermen or tax collectors. Tax collectors were hated, but, and, and fishermen uh, were known as good businessmen, but maybe you wouldn't expect them to be like always going for the top. But that's what the disciples always seem to be shooting for. They had pride in themselves. So when they walk into a city and the city's like, we don't got anywhere for you to stay because they don't want them to be there, they get angry. They're like, oh, well, let's burn them all. Let's call down fire from heaven. And Jesus is like, no. In fact, Jesus rebukes that thinking. Rebukes it. That's a strong word. Oftentimes the Bible uses the word rebuke to talk about demons. Jesus looks at the way his disciples are thinking. He sees the demonic in it. His, his, their willingness to like, wow, they really hurt our pride. They don't want us to stay here. Let's, let's have God on our behalf burn the place down. It's like, that's what? No, that's, that's not the way that kingdom of heaven people live. Trying to get retribution, trying to burn places down, trying to do all these kinds of things. Kingdom of heaven people practice humility. So let's move on to the next place. But you see the disciples, it, it never really sinks in for them. He, they, uh, Jesus recognizes at one point that he hears them talking and they're discussing like, hey, when we all, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be, right? Except their words are, when we all get to heaven, which one of us will be the greatest in the room? Which is a much different kind of lyric to be singing, but that's what's going through their mind. They're arguing, hey, who do you think is better, me or you? Obviously it's me. And Jesus catches up on this and is like, what are you guys talking about? Do you not understand the way in which this works? You're trying to figure out who's going to be the best in heaven? Well, yeah, you've been talking about how we get rewards and, and how, how what we give up on earth we get back then and those kinds of things. So, yeah, who's, who's going to be the greatest? No, you guys, you misunderstand. Even with that thinking already, your reward is dwindling. The way that the world works is always trying to get on top of someone, always trying to suppress the people who are already there so that you can move higher. We see it all the time. We see it in how we get jobs. We see it in how we try to move up even social ladders, even church leadership ladders, that somebody somewhere has to put up with someone else's pride so that that person can keep trying to ascend while other people are walked on. When you look at all kinds of rights in this world, people of different races struggling to get jobs. That uh, There's one story of someone who gave um, their black daughter, I think, a uh, white male name, just so the applications one day would go through. You look at the huge difference between what women are paid and what men are paid in jobs. I mean, these are just examples of injustices where where we have a certain kind of thing that we exalt, a certain kind of pride that we lift up, while other people we oppress and put down, all in the name of trying to get higher up the social ladder, higher in pay, 
higher to the top. But Jesus comes along, and instead of that kind of thinking, he makes his way to the bottom of the social ladder. Jesus, instead of trying to ascend all the way to the top, goes all the way down to slavery to wash his disciples' feet like a common slave. Like Peter is... Peter loses his mind over this, like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no way the Messiah, the the king that we've all been waiting for, the one who's going to put everything right, that guy is going to wash my feet like a a slave would do. Jesus, do do you even understand what you're doing right now? This is ridiculous. You're making a fool of yourself. And Jesus looks at him and is like, if you don't let me do this, then you have no part with me. Jesus goes all the way to the bottom of the social ladder. Born with his life threatened, born as a refugee, living as a homeless man, going through the injustice of the Roman Empire, putting racism on him. Well, they say he's guilty. We know he's not. Whatever. Just appease the audience. Give him capital punishment. Jesus takes it all on makes himself lower and lower and lower. And the disciples are so confused because after Jesus dies, like they're like, well, guy did a lot of miracles, but I guess he wasn't the one. He just kept going lower and lower. Now he's all the way low, he's in the ground. Now he's all the way down in Sheol. That didn't work out. And so you can imagine their surprise when a few disciples are walking down a road one day and Jesus comes up to them incognito. They don't recognize him. Maybe he just looks different or maybe he's trying to mask himself in a way. Whatever the case, he walks with them for a while. He's like, what's up, guys? And they're like, well, have you not heard the news about what's gone on in these days here? She's like, oh, tell me more. (laughs) And they start to explain how they thought Jesus was the Messiah, but he wasn't. Because he died. And Jesus then begins to go through all the law and the prophets in the Old Testament that they know. And he's like, well, did you ever think of this verse in light of what happened? Did you ever think of this one over here? Did you think of this one over here? So often we think that we can't find Jesus in the Old Testament. But clearly Jesus thought he was all over the place in the Old Testament. So he points out all the places like, don't you see how what has happened with the cross has actually fulfilled something? And then they recognize Jesus, he's still alive, and something in the cosmos has shifted. Jesus, who of all people should not have been low, who never had to be low, who could have just stayed up in heaven, he instead descended all the way to earth, put on human flesh, a God putting on human flesh, And then he lives among us, makes his way down the social ladder, and then dies, goes all the way down to the bottom, to the underworld, to Sheol. This is why Paul can say that Jesus has filled all things. He's been at all tiers of the cosmos. And when we think that it's over because he's all the way down, 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 and nobody comes from down, 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 suddenly he comes back to life. And he ascends back to earth, walking out the front gates of hell. See you guys later. No man's ever walked out of hell before. What just happened? And then he runs into his disciples. And then he ascends again. Nobody just walks into heaven as human. That's not how that works. 
Jesus didn't like have an out-of-body experience go to heaven. His personhood, his humanity went straight to heaven. And so you got to imagine like all the disciples just like, what just happened? And the answer that we might have is, well, he made himself low. And by making himself low, he actually was glorified. This is our first parable of the banquet. When you walk into a place where you're expected to be, don't sit in the highest place being like, this is where I belong, because the person who's there might have invited someone that they think is more important than you. (laughs) And they might come and to your shame be like, that chair is not yours. You need to move along. At which point, Jesus is like, do it the opposite way. Sit in the lowest place so that when the master of the wedding feast comes in, he's like, what are you doing way over here? That's what you think you mean to me? Get over here. You belong over here. This is our first parable. Make yourself low that you would be glorified. If you glorify yourself, you will be made low. This is the way in which heaven works. The next banquet He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner, uh, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus goes low again. Hey, when you throw a banquet, don't just go for like, you know, trying to win over people, but bring in all the poor. Bring in all the poor and give them the kinds of things that they otherwise wouldn't find. We still have not figured this out in in a lot of Christian methods, right? If we're going to have a special fundraiser, sometimes churches will like the people who have tied the most we want to bring to a very special gathering, thank you so much for your support of the church. Whereas the people who are tithing less, it's not necessarily because they're not tithing the same amount proportionately. It's just that their pocketbooks don't go as deep. And yet we can demean that to be like, well, these people over here have given so much, let's make sure that we keep them happy so that we can keep bringing in what we need to continue forward. Whereas Jesus, I think if he was to critique the church on fundraising meals like this, he'd be like, hey, bring in all the poor. Bring in those people who, who maybe dress different, act different. The ones that you're afraid that maybe the fancier people will get up and leave. Bring in those who you're not expecting to come. See if they'll come. Well, what if, what if you know, like, what if we lose money on this meal? <laughs> yeah, lose money then. Because you know, if you lose money in serving the poor, you know what you're actually doing? You're making yourself low, and therefore, your reward will come at the resurrection of the just. What you are performing when you take care of the poor is justice, is righteousness. And your father who sees what you do in secret, and even in public, will reward you when the time comes to reward you. That's hard for us, because right now we want to live in that place where we're like, no, 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 I, I need to be rational, I need to get by, I don't want to be giving and giving and giving. I have levels to which I can give 
and I don't want to drain all myself and, and my time and my energy and this and that. Whereas Jesus is, is pushing. It's okay that you lost money to serve someone else. I respect those kinds of things. I will reward those kinds of things. I have someone in, in, uh, in my family's life who is often in need of money. I've given over $1,000 at this point over the years just to try to keep them going. This past week, they came to me like, I finally got a lawyer. There's a free lawyer through some program. Uh, there's this bunch of money that I've been supposed to get that has not come my way. I, I expect I'm going to be given $20,000 in the next few months here, and then I will pay you back. And I was like, I have never given you any money expecting you to return it. You cannot return it. It's, it's, you, you're just going to ask me for more money later. Just keep it. And I still get those calls. And there's often times where I have to say, like, I can't right now, or I'll give less. I can't give that much. Things like that. But there's often, like, these moments of, like, the church wants to be rational about those things. Well, there's all these methods about when helping hurts people, and there's all these programs that we could turn people over to. It's like, I get all that. I want to take people to the programs, and I want to empower them. But there's also times where they need food on their table, and I'm the only person who can provide that. And I recognize that it's not just a public matter to take care of the poor, but it's a private matter too. And so here's a few more bucks recognizing that I'm never getting it back, that I have no stipulations of getting it back, and that if, first off, it's not affecting me enough for me to care, but if God cares about it someday, maybe he will bring it up then. That's hard for us to think over. We want our lives to be about everything that we're about right now. Whereas, Jesus calls us to care about the life that is to come and to right now care about the lives around us to make judgment calls to take care of those. So Jesus, even when he's talking about having fancy banquets, he then calls us like to bring the poor into those banquets, to, to, to care for those around us that otherwise would have been overlooked. And when we do that, we are being just. When we do that, we are being righteous. It's not usually the way we think, but that's the way that Jesus sees it. Kingdom of heaven coming to earth looks like a banquet with the poor. The kingdom of heaven coming to earth looks like us making ourselves low that we might be glorified. And he goes on. When one of those reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of that banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come. For everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. And I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, 
go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus was quite used to rejection. He experienced it all the time. He had more than 12 disciples. Bible talks in some places about 72 disciples. Uh, We know that uh, uh, outside of the 12 disciples, he had other disciples like Mary, Magdalene, and Martha, and other Marys, so many Marys. (laughs) And um, uh, more beyond that, we catch glimpses of them along the way. Jesus was used to their rejection. In his story in John, he tells a weird parable. He's referring to communion. They all think he's being literal. We're all going to eat your body and drink your blood. And then a bunch of disciples just leave him in that time. Jesus is used to rejection. And Jesus can handle rejection. I think it maybe could break him sometimes. When I look at that story where he cried about Lazarus, sometimes I wonder if it's, Yeah, it's emotional because his friend is dead. But also, throughout the book of John, he gets rejected by his closest friends and family all the time. His own family came and tried to stop him from teaching because they thought he was crazy. Jesus is used to rejection. But he knows that no one should be rejecting him. And so when he sends out those memos and he gets those replies that we all have heard before, well, okay, You maybe haven't heard someone say, I can't come over, I just bought some oxen. But in the same way that Jesus is hearing these and he knows that they're excuses, you have heard excuses like that before. Where clearly the person just doesn't want to come over and has looked for an excuse. Jesus looks at this this kind of uh, banquet and he's like, okay, I know they just are rejecting me. They don't want to come. They don't want to enjoy. If that's the way that's going to be, then they don't need to be here. So I'm going to look for new friends. And I'm going to go to the places where people don't expect. Once again, we're back to the poor. We're to the people in the lanes and the alleyways. We're to the people on the outskirts. We're at the the Gentiles, the people outside of, of the Jewish nation. The ones who thought that the Messiah was just for them is now for others even further out. Jesus goes to the ends of society, sending out the, the message, if you want to come to the meal, come to the meal. And those people show up, and those are the ones who are now on the in, whereas those who rejected him now find themselves on the out. Jesus tells this banquet parable, and it makes us realize we got to take this stuff seriously. When he calls us to do something, we need to listen. And just as he has called us to make ourselves low, And to reach those who are low, so Jesus is calling into his banquet those who are low. And to reach them means that we're going to have plenty to give up. Here's the final part. Jesus goes on, and this this one kind of, I had to chew on this for a little bit to see if it made any sense. But he goes on from there. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, Even in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus gets deep. He does not just call us in the last parable to show up instead of excuse ourselves. But he expects everything. And he tells a few kind of confusing analogies to make his point clear there. The first one is that you should hate your family members, which we read that. Some of you are like, on it. Thank you, Jesus. I'm on top. (laughs) Others of you are like, why would I hate my family members? Which is, I hope all of you, but um, why, why would I hate my family members? Jesus, for a lot of people, was a rebel. And when you came home to your family and said, I'm following that rebel, there was a good chance that your family was going to turn on you. So Jesus, of course, who has called us to love everyone, including love our enemies, Jesus, in moments like this, is saying, like, look, what I am doing is so radical and different. It is going to bring division into your most filled places of love. People are not going to understand it. They're going to turn on you. And I cannot be the one that you turn against in that scenario. I cannot be the one that you decide to hate. It's going to have to be your family that you're going to have to leave behind. He's, of course, not calling us to hate anyone. He's using a strong word to recognize, like, it's going to get dark. It's going to get messy. I know that's not the case for a lot of us who have grown up in Christian homes or just American homes. But there are plenty of people of other religions and other countries who are used to this. If I choose Jesus, my family will hate me. And Jesus tells me that I need to be okay with that that I I will have to suffer the loss in order to gain what is so much better and so much more important. But then Jesus goes on to tell these other parables, like, hey, you don't start building a building without knowing what all needs to go into it. You don't go to war with just uh, a few thousand uh, people in your army if you're going to face something that has like 10 times the size. Those were the stories that really kind of threw me off, but as I was looking through commentaries trying to find answers, I, I started to understand. So you're saying, like, you need to go all in from the beginning. If you're just like, I'm going to start building this house that is following Jesus, people are going to think you're crazy when you spent, like, five years of it, and they are like, eh, it's not worth it, I'm out. Jesus is like, I need everything. If you want to follow me, you are building this house. I need everything. When you become a Christian, the spiritual powers that are are going to turn on you. It is you versus them. And you don't want to just walk into that blind. If you want to beat that, you need to come with me and give me everything. I've run into that as I've done deliverance ministry. There have actually been single deliverance moments where I have, the Spirit has made us aware that we are up against hundreds of demons that need to be cast out. In that moment, 
It's me, the Holy Spirit, versus hundreds. <laughs> now, from a numerical standpoint, it feels a little overwhelming. But as I come to Jesus and say, I am all in and I give myself to you, I find out that he can deal with several hundred, just as he could deal with it in Legion. But if I don't carry that faith, I will get trampled. I will get destroyed. I will get halfway, and then everyone will wonder what happened. Go all in. If you want to reach the poor, if you want to make yourself low, if you want to do the kinds of things that God is calling you to do, it is going to require everything. Because once you get that low, you got nothing but Jesus. Once you face the point of death as a possible consequence for following Jesus, the only thing that's going to carry you through, even if it's facing martyrdom, is Jesus. That was actually something that the early church used to teach. Uh, they, people were getting martyred all the time, and so sometimes some Christians would rise up and be like, I'll go get martyred. <laughs> and they're like, hey, martyrdom's like a gift. Uh, Jesus will empower you to get through it if martyrdom's coming your way. And we don't want you guys to end up betraying Jesus because you try to step into martyrdom when you're not ready. Let that come to you in its own time if it comes to you. Why did I get into that story? I'm not entirely sure. I had a point. <laughs> and my point was, oh, they had to be ready to give their all to Jesus at all times, but they also recognized that Jesus went with them when they hit rock bottom. Because that's often where Jesus leads. Pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Not pick up your bank account and I will fill it. Follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. It's capital punishment. It's an electric chair. Pick up your electric chair and follow me. What? What if someone actually sits me in it? Follow me. So, Jesus, we come before you right now. We're gearing up for reveal. We're gearing up for the prophetic and justice. And we see that in these banquet stories, you call us toward justice. You call us toward the poor. You call us to get low. And when we make ourselves low, we find ourselves in a different community, in a different place. So any glorification that's going to come, may it come because we have taken ourselves to the bottom, not because we've been trying to pursue our way all the way to the top, not because we stepped on other people's heads to get somewhere new. If we're going to move somewhere in your glory, may it be because we've given our all. And as you've looked at us, you've not only saved up reward for us in the life that is to come at the resurrection of the just, but as you say elsewhere in other parables, that those who give up things now will be rewarded both now and later. May all the glorification that we find, all of the honor that we find, all the pride that we find, not be something that we have created for ourselves, but something that has come because you have put it on us as you've seen the way in which we lived. God, we are surrounded by the same kind of prideful world that the disciples lived in, where billionaires just try to fly to space and buy social networks just for the sake of raising their own names. 
where instead of facing all kinds of things uh, that have come up about us and the way that we lead and treat people, we just label it fake news so no one has to deal with it, including ourselves. We are surrounded by a world that is always trying to exalt itself in its own pride. So may we follow you down to the bottom as you raise us from there. That that famous verse that we sing all the time, may we see you high and lifted up. May we recognize that that was a prophetic word referring to you being lifted up on a cross. That high and lifted up for you was crucifixion. And that revelation looked at moments like that, and they said that that was conquering the world. Oh, we have a lot of retraining of ourselves to do to understand that. A lot of pride to lose to get that humble. So teach us and give us wisdom along the way, as there are plenty, probably even in this room, who actually struggle with a different problem of uh, not practicing humility but practicing a false humility that instead of of being humble they actually humiliate themselves and have no pride or worth in themselves which is not what humility is and you are not trying to call them deeper into that that is a false identity that just breaks us down and makes it impossible to love and be loved as you love us so may that identity go as we become the actual kind of humble people you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.